The following program originally aired September 29, 2021, on the Wednesday edition of The Point on KPOV 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio in Bend. Our guest this morning is Dr. Sharan Klein from the Redmond School District. Dr. Klein came to the Redmond School District as superintendent last July, replacing the retiring Mike McIntosh. Sharan, welcome back to The Point, and thank you for joining us this morning. Well, Louise, it's always wonderful to be on. Thank you for having me. So you, you've had a pretty interesting tenure with the Redmond School District. Have you even had a normal day so far? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I've been in education. This is my 26th year in education, you know, and I always thought my job was about teaching kids. And uh, this last year, it's been about politics and vaccines and and uh, and diseases. Just, you know, as I like to say, just doing our best to try and keep the doors open. So. Just trying to keep your head above water. So let's just water. start yep. right off addressing the elephant in the room sure. so that we can get that out of the way and on to more positive things about RSD. You have a fourth grade teacher at Terrebonne Community School, Tori Cadell, who has refused to wear a mask, saying she's standing up for medical sovereignty. Cadell has been an employee of RSD for 23 years and was at the center of an emotional school board meeting last Wednesday evening. Tell us what happened leading up to that meeting and what actually happened at that meeting, which was held via Zoom. Sure. Well, we've done quite a bit of work uh, with Ms. Cadell. Um, uh, Trying to get her to comply with the with the vaccine. Um, sorry, with the with the mask mandate. Uh, we'd worked with her over time. Our HR person had worked with her. Uh, we you know given her options to work on getting a medical. Not not you cannot wear a mask, but you can you can get kind of a medical excuse to wear a face shield or something. And she had not really worked on that. It really continued to talk about um, you know wanting to kind of stand up for her medical rights and that kind of thing. So we eventually brought her to um, a board meeting for termination, which I need to say is is the law. So it's the way it's supposed to work. And this is out of contract law. We are following the statutes that have to do with teacher termination. This is not the way we wanted to go about it. Uh, we just didn't really have any choice in the matter. Our lawyer did all the prep work and 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 we did you know a lot of work there. So we followed followed legal advice as we're going through this. Uh, so we went into the board meeting and, and I had thought that the board members kind of understood the stakes as we went through that. Um, but they they decided that as a as a group that they'd like us to try something else. And so they voted not to um, not to um, terminate her and asked us to try and find some accommodations. And we have been working on that. So wow. What, um, what kind of accommodations are, those... are you able to find? I mean, what, it, like you said, it's the law that you're trying to follow the law. So what sort of accommodations might you be able to come up with? Well, there's only a few. Um, because, you know, most of our, well, first of all, I should say that nobody is working in our school district without a mask. Everybody either has a mask or a face shield. Um, we haven't really had any other issues with that except with Ms. Cadell. Um, so she was offered a couple different options and uh, and she's chosen one. And that's kind of a, you know, personnel matters are kind of confidential. So I don't specifically want to go into those. However, um, she's not in front of, class, of students teaching. She's doing, she's kind of another spot, right? Is she teaching remotely? She's not. That was an option that we, we gave to her as well. Um, but even with the remote option, um, obviously, we have to have remote students with that, right? And so we had one position open. And in that position, there was some partial time that you had to wear a mask or a face shield as you're meeting with families. And so that didn't work for her either. There are those that would say that the governor's mandate is just that. It's a mandate. It's not a law. Right. And I hear a lot of that, that it's not a law. And I had our lawyer kind of, you know, take a look at that. Um, and, you know, and our lawyers basically say, and I'll just read it to you, that 
Oregon's mandatory mask mandate uh, for schools is found in OAR 333-019-1015. I sent that to you as you put it on there. And like Oregon state statutes, Oregon administrative rules are law. That was determined uh, with a with a court case a number of years ago, back in the 1970s. I'm saying that basically administrative rules and regulations are regarded as legislative enactment. That's how it works because you know the legislature passes a law, uh, then usually an agency has to create rules to make that law practical and be able to put into place. And so it kind of fits underneath that. So the governor's mandates are actually laws. Uh, despite um, what everybody feels is there's there's a there's a high opinion that that's not true. Wow. So what are the next steps? Where do we go from here? Well, of course, we've got the vaccine mandate coming up next. And so the masks were sort of a trial run for that. Um, we are trying to work through that. We have a significant number of our employees who um, are declining to either get vaccinated or sign the exception forms. Um, and so um, that kind of comes to a head on October October 18th and we're honestly working through it trying to figure out how to how to go it's it, we're really between a rock and a hard place on that you know the governor hasn't despite me calling uh our the director of the department of ed and asking for another route the the governor hasn't seemed to be inclined to give us anything like a testing option or something like that that might might help people you know be able to work with things and so we are trying to figure it out Will there be consequences for this teacher or the school district from the state? Well, it all depends, right? So if we were to put her back in the classroom teaching students, then OSHA would fine us. Uh Um, And they've, you know, we've had those conversations already. And so... Uh, they might find the board specifically after seeing how that goes. So that's that's kind of what OSHA would do as they go through that. Teacher standard practices, um, they have the case. They have said they'll pull someone's license for not following the rules. But as of yet, we don't know if that's actually going to happen. We have to see. You know, you, you don't really know until it happens. And so, um, but that's what they, that's what their initial promise for was when, when they came out with this. That's what they were going to do. And, you know, in, in my case, for instance, if I said, well, I'm just not going to follow the rules, uh, then I could get a complaint against me and then my license could get pulled. And for any, any, any professional educators in that same position. So I heard you say that you, uh, somebody would complain, a complaint against you. So in order for anything else to happen, kind of repercussions towards the teacher in terms of her credential, would she have to have complaints? Is that what it would take? Yeah, all the regulatory agencies in Oregon are pretty much complaint driven. I mean, they might drop in on you. I, you know, I've had OSHA drop in on us before and do an inspection. If they find something wrong, they might find you. But most of it is by complaint. That, that people get. But, you know, this, the city of Redmond, the community of Redmond, is, is, as far as I can tell, is pretty divided on this issue. So uh, I, I think if we weren't following the rules, we'd have a complaint pretty quickly. I've, You're going to have complaints one way or the other. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of emails on, on both sides of that, on that fence. So, <laughs> pretty, pretty, steady, steady, uh, pretty steady stream of them, I should say. Most importantly, what lessons are the kids learning from this incident? Rules don't matter, uh, challenge medical authority. How's the district handling this as a teaching opportunity? Um, I think it's being handled differently in different places. Um, you know, we have a good group of teachers who, uh, especially in our social studies classes, are, are looking at all this as they go forward. Uh, I would say that a lot of us right now are just trying to survive. We're just trying to keep the kids in school. We're just trying to teach lessons the best we're able to and trying to trying to work together on things. So I would say it's a little bit different in each, in each classroom. Dr. Klein, so 
I was thinking about this the other night that I would imagine that you got into this business wanting to help people, wanting to teach kids, wanting to open up their horizons. And it seems to me that you found yourself amidst all this bureaucracy. So how has your mission or, you know, the way you look at your job, how has all that changed over the course of your 20 plus years being an educator? You know, I originally got an education because of my time in the military. I, uh, I had a job where I felt like I was making a difference in the world. And when I got out, I wanted to continue to do that. You know, I grew up in Southern Oregon and, and kind of near the end of my high school career, the, the timber community was starting to fall apart. And the, and the, and after I got out of the army, I mean, the, the damage that had been done to Southern Oregon and, and sort of the timber towns down there was pretty complete. So when I became an educator, I was actually really motivated about the idea of how do I use the education system to help people and help communities grow. Um, As I see it, it's this huge government um, program that's in every community in Oregon, and it ought to be something we can use to to help improve those communities, make them thrive more. And so all the work that I've done over the years, whether it has, you know, back when I was a high school teacher, I did a lot of service learning projects. When I was when I was a principal, we were improving schools that were not operating well to, you know, really, really work well. Uh, when I was a director, I was, you know, building programs. And I was a superintendent of the district, you're building buildings, trying to build a community. And that's really always been my motivation. So in this situation I'm in now, um, I don't feel like I'm doing that as much I was, as I would like. Although I will say I do feel blessed to be in a position to try and help the community through hard times. Because even though this is a, a horrible situation we're in and a, and, a, and a terrible experience, I am blessed to be in a position to try and make it as, as good as I can for everyone. Uh, not everybody agrees with my approach, for sure. But um, I, I believe that on balance, um, we're keeping more people safe. We're keeping kids safe. We're keeping teachers safe. Uh, we're creating a, a safe place for people to work and a safe place for kids to go to school. And so in that way, I, I really feel like we're making a difference. And I feel blessed to be in that. And the, I have the opportunity to do that. So what is school looking like this year? What is this new normal? And does that new normal vary from school to school? Shockingly, it actually looks pretty similar to what you would expect schools to look like. Uh, When you walk into a classroom, teachers are teaching and kids are learning. I would say the biggest difference is that um, before COVID hit, most of our teaching had gone to uh, group models. We had to do a lot of cooperative learning, having kids you know, in desks together and stuff. And now we have them very spread out. So that cooperative learning model, which has more kids learning at any one time than just, you know, asking questions around a classroom. Um, that's not happening as much as, as we'd like just because of, uh, of social distancing. But teachers are teaching and kids are learning. And when you walk into the classrooms, people are generally pretty happy. Um, you know, I've been through every school and, and many classrooms uh, a couple times uh, looking through things and, and it's going well, really well. It doesn't seem like that on the outside with all the political turmoil, but inside the schools, we're doing okay. We've got a new program on board that we're excited about. And this is a program that's being funded with the with the Student Investment Act accounts uh, that be, it were new a couple years ago, and, and we finally get a chance to implement those. Uh, and we're developing a program we call BRIGHT, and uh, that's an acronym. But what, what it really is is a, is a program that creates – uh, sort of little mini um, classrooms or classrooms in each school or, or K schools that help students who have uh, emotional control issues. And sometimes those come out as behavioral issues. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of times it's just students having to learn how to control themselves and work through that. And so we, we have um, some mental health folks in that. And that works with our step up program. And so we're, we're um, really creating sort of a, a pretty heavy duty 
um, support system for students that need that extra help. We believe over time it'll cut our referrals into special education. And we also think that it's going to help students over time become considerably more productive and and well-adjusted in the classroom. Is the Bright program available at all schools or is it just in one central location? It's not at every school. It's at many of them. Um, And it really had to do with the level of disciplinary referrals we had at different schools. And so they've gone into the ones that have higher levels of need, um, either by discipline or by by poverty rates. Um, They're mostly in our our kindergarten through eight schools. We haven't implemented the program at the high school level. And uh, we're working with a consulting group out of Boston. uh, And Bend is doing this as well. So we're actually doing it together a little bit and trying to build that program. We think it's going to offer students a lot of a lot of needed support. Um, you know, the mental health issues with students in the state of Oregon um, is, is you know, talk about pandemics. The amount of the amount of students we need to have that need extra help is is overwhelming. And um, we're excited about this program to be able to offer students the students the services they need. Are other school districts in the state offering this service? Yeah, many of them are. And there's not a lot that are working specifically with Bright. That's a consultant um, that we brought here in Central Oregon. We feel good about it because they have a proven track record. Uh, they've, they've worked out a lot of the problems with it. But many, many school districts all over the state are implementing similar kind of programs. Uh, if you recall, when they were doing the, the work for the SA, the, the politicians, when they were looking at it, and they went around the state of Oregon and asked about need, this high level of behavioral need came out in every school district. It's something we needed support with. You mentioned student investment accounts. What exactly is that? So um, you've heard of the cap tax, which mm-hmm. is the which is the um, is this is a specific tax uh, levied on large businesses as transaction tax um, that goes to the legislature and is put out into the SSA funds or the student uh, student accounts kind of thing. And a piece of that is the student investment account. Uh, so this is this is people's direct tax dollars working to help on specific needs. Um, every school district across the state had to survey their community, had to talk to people, had to look at data and develop a plan based on community need of how best to implement that. Some folks are lowering class sizes. Some folks are building these mental health supports as we're doing. Other people are investing into into other various programs that are needed. How many students are involved in the Bright program right now? So far, not that many. Um, it's a program that's just developing. We, we've literally just hired a lot of the people. And so we're, we're training uh, many of them, uh, probably just a few in each school so far. Um, it'll begin to ramp up. But also, schools are still in kind of a honeymoon period with students. Um, they'll start, you know, different behaviors and things will start popping out over the next month. Just going back for a minute, is distance learning still an option for students? It absolutely is. Uh, we have the uh, what we call our RSD Flex program, and um, we are serving 300 students at this point, K through 12, um, in an online format. Uh, it's a program that we plan on keeping forever. We think it's uh, we think it's a great option for folks when they need it. Uh, we have everything in there from um, high school classes down to support for people who want to be in homeschool. Um, and have their ter- parents domestic teaching. So it's a, it's a pretty wide range of, uh, of services for students and, and parents, and we believe it's a, it's a great option that we're going to keep. It sounds like you have been doing a lot of heavy lifting, Sharan. <laughs> well, the team has. We've got, a, we've got a great team of people that work here at the Redmond School District, and so we have a lot of folks working hard for, for the kids of this area. And we are fortunate to have that. Where can we go for more information? If you go to our website, in fact, we have a brand new website. If you want to take a look at it, it's nice. It is a great website. It just just turned over. The information's on there um, and it's being updated. We're still updating it and putting new information on there. You should be able to find most of what you need. If you can't find, please call into our district office and we'll get you that information.
Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.